Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. I'm Maria Metzler, the Executive Director of Helpline House. The global pandemic has affected us all differently. If you or your neighbors need food assistance, mental health counseling, rental assistance, or parks and rec vouchers, please reach out. Helpline House can help in many ways. Find us on the web at helplinehouse.org. It's what we do. Neighbor helping neighbor. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. good podcastville you found the bystander podcast today's guest is ron peltier north ward city council candidate how are you today fine fine thank you tim for having me on yeah i want to apologize again for studio mess ups on friday and really value your time and appreciate you coming back a second time to have this discussion you bet i'm glad to do it good before we move into the future of a city council and such i wanted to talk a little bit about the past um you definitely have a certain communication style that's different than than most, and I was wondering um, how it is. Why it's been difficult for some people to work with you on council, going back to Doug Schultz and uh, Cole Medina, and just the kind of conflict that you had with those type of leaders. Well, actually, uh, I work quite well with my council colleagues. <clears throat> Excuse me, got a little frog there. Uh, for the first uh, two years or so, we got a lot of things done. Uh, my style is to be maybe sometimes a little too honest, a little too transparent. Um, and, you know, that's that's definitely something that, uh, you know, maybe I need to work on. I do tend to lean towards being more honest and open, and sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. Um, I worked well with uh, Cole and other folks, other council members. Uh, we got some really important stuff done the first two, about two and a half years. So I, I don't, wouldn't think it's, I don't think it's really fair to say that my communication style got in the way of getting things done. Um, it did contribute to some of the later things that happened. Uh, there were some, there were some situations that if I knew then what I know now, I would have uh, not allowed them to escalate as much as they did. Or would have uh, my part of them would have been to to maybe be more restrained and disciplined in how I reacted to things. 
Yeah. Um, the one thing that I didn't quite understand is you worked with Cole, and, and Cole mentioned this to me too, that you guys did get a lot, a lot, lot done during the, the time. But he was kind of a little bit put off by all the public records requests. He felt, um, and I'm probably paraphrasing, I shouldn't speak for him, but from the outside in, it looked like you were searching for something. Are you talking about after I was off city council? Yeah, and Cole had, had left, or right about the same time that he left. As a, as a member of the public, I have a right to oh, absolutely. public records request. And there were some things that went on that I was concerned about that I wanted to, I wanted to see what was going on. And so that's, that's the purpose of the public records. Mm. I had many records requests filed against me, or not against me, but about four records that uh, my emails and that sort of thing. And I never complained about it, so... Uh-huh. Well, what what type of things were you looking for specifically? Um, I was looking for interactions between Cole and other council members because I believe that he, some of the things he did before he left were improper. He tried to change, I felt, he was trying to change part of the uh, ethics program to benefit himself. And the ethics board actually found, they actually had a, a, a determination that he did do that, but it went to the hearing examiner and the hearing examiner determined that there was not a violation. Uh, so the hearing examiner has the final say. I don't agree mm. with his <clears throat> decision, but he has a final say, and that's part of Cole's due process. So I respect that. And it seemed like accusations and um, ethics charges and the whole ethics board was on fire for a while. How would you describe how it transpired, how – we didn't really have an ethics board and had an ethics board. Then we <clears throat> realigned. I, I didn't follow it. It seemed like I was reading the Enquirer, if if that. Everything was a little surface level and um, not interesting to me to some extent. But it got talked about a lot on the, on the island. Can you address it a little bit? That's a very thoughtful question, Tim. Um, one of the things that happened early on in late 2018 is the city attorney decided that the ethics board could take third-party complaints regarding Article One core values. And those are not ethics. Those are core values. They're, they're general aspirations. And their, their purpose up until that was to allow council members to request advisory opinions regarding something they may have done or, or thought they might do and to get an opinion from the ethics board. There were people who lobbied for that to be subject to complaints so that if somebody thought you were uh, rude or not being civil or one of the, you know, violating one of the core values, that they could file a complaint. And that really opened up, I believe, a Pandora's dot box of making the ethics program more political because suddenly if somebody, you know, I had one complaint filed against me. Uh, a person objected to the use of the phrase "with all due respect," and it was it was conveyed in an email, and I really didn't mean it disrespectful, but he took it as disrespectful, and and that was unfortunate. And, How do you even take that disrespectful? Well, he cited some um, websites that define that phrase as being sarcastic, and at times it can be used that way. Mm-hmm. It's hard to read tone through an email, though. It is. Uh, you know, so that was unfortunate, and um, you know, if, if my my style is, I like to interact with people, mm-hmm. and it's easy to forget you're an elected official, and what you say carries more weight at times. And I just Good like point. to, I just like to interact with people, just like we're we're regular folks, and we can talk, and we can be open. And 
that doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something I learned is that I need to be more careful about how I interact and communicate with members of the public if I were elected again. Do you ever feel like you come across vindictive at all? I, I probably at times. I, I'm, I would venture that some people do, and especially if you feel like you've been mistreated or if people have been unfair. Uh, it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that if, if I ever come across that way, it's, it's, a, it's a good way to be or something I should do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm aware of my imperfections, that's the, that's the start, right? We all have them. Yes. And some people are more willing to admit them than others. Uh, so I do have imperfections. And I I hope I don't come across as vindictive very often, but uh, that that may have been the case at certain times. Yeah, it seemed like the case when <clears throat> Doug went to Banning and then you continued to talk about him. <laughs> well, I don't know. Here's what, a, what got off with you two guys? Because I, when I first started the podcast, Doug was one of my first guests, and uh, I didn't really know what's going on on this island. Again, but. that's a very thoughtful question. I think appropriate. Uh, Doug and I got it off to a bad start right after I was elected in 2015. Uh, he got a pay raise the day that Prop One, which the, was the 15 million dollar bond measure for a new police and court facility, failed, and he was the biggest proponent of that. And I objected to it. I wrote an email to the city council saying, I don't really think it's proper that you give him a, a raise. I think I don't think he deserves it. And um, he, he took offense to that, and he let me know about it. <clears throat> so it kind of tainted our our working relationship. And I also, I also thought that Doug at times was not um, – as honest as he should be or transparent. And so there was some constant tension. We did manage to work together uh, when I was deputy mayor. And even after that, uh, when he came out with a newspaper interview where he called me a bully and, and criticized the council, uh, I felt like he was stepping over a line. Mm. Uh, all of, Calling you, know, you out publicly? or Yeah, he called me out publicly. And, I, it you know, it wasn't really – indicative of the relationship that we'd had leading up to that where we'd worked together on the landmark tree ordinance that he wrote and he had consulted with me regularly for input on that um <clears throat> i was one of the two council members that attended a uh, event he put on called for the love of bainbridge and so i was trying to be supportive of him and kind of try to turn over a new leaf and then to be blamed for him leaving it, it stung, and I probably overreacted to it. But I will say that uh, I did. I filed a complaint with his association, International City Managers Association, because I felt like he had violated their code of ethics. And and there were some specific things in that code regarding uh, city managers respecting the role of council members to make politi- to make decisions and not to be political. And so that was one of the complaints I filed against him. So, you know, that may be considered, I don't know, vindictive. I didn't feel like it was at the time. And it wasn't, and and I I thought about it a lot because I knew that it could have an impact on him, but I really felt like he had violated part of his Mm -hmm. code. Some of the other things that happened uh, were overblown. You know, I've had people ask, you know, did you follow Doug Schultz to California investigate him? No, I didn't do that. I've never, I haven't been to California in about 40 years. Uh, I did have a, there was a council member in Banning who contacted me and wanted to talk about some of the things that were going on with 
with the police chief situation that in, that actually involved our police chief as well. And I communicated him with, uh, with him about those, that issue. Um, if I had it to do over again, I would not have communicated by email. I would have talked to him on the phone. So there's some stuff that, that I should have done differently that I've learned from. And well, well uh, last, last one, and we'll get on to the, the issues that we, we care about, and that's stewardship of this island. Um, I believe I remember some situation where most of the council had voted against you in some capacity, except perhaps the mayor, of not being a fit council member or something like that. What was that story about? Well, it, it, there was nothing about being unfit to be a council member. It was a reprimand for related to That's a right. com- complaint filed by the former city manager's wife. And she objected to the fact that I had communicated with the, the, the city council member from Banning and claimed that my only purpose in doing that was to embarrass and discredit her and Doug. And that, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. She also accused me of promoting uh, Facebook posts that were disparaging of Doug or unflattering and claimed that I that I had communications with people in Banning to you know about information regarding her and Doug and that's not the case I never did that there's no proof that I did that uh, but we were in a, a very charged political atmosphere where the newspaper was reporting and sensationalizing all the complaints against me and I would say inaccurately reporting what was going on and not really giving a balanced, you know, there's there's usually more than one side to a story. And the local newspaper editor was really eager to give one side and to sensationalize it. So that's what I was reprimanded for, was supposedly uh, uh, somehow violating core values. It wasn't an ethics violation. Mm-hmm. It was related to things like respect and professionalism and that sort of thing. And they felt like my communications... And the complaints I filed against Doug, uh, they didn't approve. Mm-hmm. And they have, the city council has a right to reprimand a member uh, through their parliamentary procedure for anything, any reason they want. So that's what they did. They didn't say – nobody said I was unfit to serve on the city council. They just didn't approve of what I had done. Okay. So that, that's what that was. So I noticed you've – taken out quite a few ads in that, that said paper. Um, so you're giving them money, even though um, it's tough to uh, give them money when they're the only paper in town. Well, actually, my ads have mostly been on the Kitsap Sun, Bainbridge Islander. Yeah, but they're all owned by the same people, right? I don't – well, I don't know. Are, are they? I, I believe – Kitsap Sun and the uh, – 98110, the Islander, Kitsap Sun, and some other – the Review. I think they're all by the same publisher. Oh, really? Okay. Um Anyway, I was noticing that um, you seem to be going hard body karate at, at your opponent and <laughs> kind of um, very aggressive, uh, like, this is what he doesn't do, this is what I do. What do they call that? A face-to-face political, um, I don't know the term. Hard body karate, I guess <laughs> I'll do. All right. Well, some people just like to say, this is what I can bring, and they don't acknowledge their opponent. Yeah, you seem to acknowledge your opponent quite a bit in the way you advertise. Yeah, what made you have that conscious choice to be a little bit different than all the other candidates on the city council? Well, my opponent is why I'm running. If I thought that our our city council, Snap. <laughs> I thought if our city council were in good hands, 
with my opponent, I would not have run. Because I don't have a burning desire to be on the city council, Tim. It's mm. a lot of work. It, Long meetings. It takes up four years of your life. It dominates. When I was on the council last time, I missed one meeting in four years. So that's how seriously I take it. But, um, you know, I with my opponent, uh, we have some different views or different positions we've staked out. He was for building 100 units of housing on the Suzuki property. And I don't know if he really understands the impact that would have had to the, the wildlife corridor there, the, the, the whole neighborhood, and just the feeling of the island yeah. to have that kind of urban density there. He supports the Winslow Hotel. I don't know that he understands the impact that would have with 727 additional car trips per day. Uh, that could really transform Winslow. Um, I'd like to see the hotel next to the ferry in the parking lot, you know, and put some greenery around it, but you just walk off the ferry and your hotel's there and there's less of a footprint. I wonder if people would want... I've I've thought about that piece of property. One of the candidates, uh, Kent Scott, is proposing... Well, I don't know if I should say this, but... Uh, I th- I think Ken's he, a friend of the podcast. Go ahead. Yeah, I think he'd love to have a little forest planted there, and I think that's a great idea. Yeah, huh. Just plant a bunch of trees so that people come off the island. There's a nice little refuge, place to sequester mm-hmm. carbon. And, but you know, well, so look on the other side. When we used to have the abandoned gas stations and such by the uh, ravine there, and then we yeah. put in the sidewalk yeah. and the revisions there, and and it cl- cleaned up really nice. It's a very welcoming side of the sidewalk. It is. Places. You get on the other side, and there's the old police station and uh, the old auto shop that's kind of abandoned, and it's, it's not attractive. And one of the things we did when I was on council, and I don't remember this before my opponent was on, he w- would have been supportive of this, was that we worked to retain as many trees as possible along that stretch there. And it took a little extra work, but we got our public works director to figure it out. So you, if I could return to why yes. I'm running for council and my opponent and why I'm kind of, as you said, going hard body karate with my ads is I want people to know the difference. And one of the things I have, concerns I have, is that my opponent seems to be more of a politician than me. For him, I think it's really not so much about the issues. I think he's staked out positions where he knows he'll have support from certain people. Uh, for me, it's all about my personal philosophy and what I, what, I want, what I want to get done. It's not about any political ambition, and I don't think that's the same. You know, I think we're different that way. Fair. Um, what do you think of this Wintergreen project that they're talking about over there by ProBuild and uh, Walgreens? I, I've been an advocate for the city council to get involved in that, and not in a way that would uh, intervene or uh, what's, what's the word? Um, that would control the project or well i it, there's a process at the city and land use review process you know the D- design review board planning commission mm-hmm. hearing examiner staff reviews and staff reports and all this stuff and it, and that has to be followed so the city council can't subvert that legally and and i wouldn't want it to but what i what i was hoping the city council would do would be to enter into a partnership as proposed by councilwoman nasar now the mayor a, p- a partnership with them to help advance their project. And part of the way to do that would be to become a financial partner so that there's some investment in the project and some incentive for the developers to work with the city and city council. 
and to say, look, let's improve your project. Let's take a look at these recommendations by the Design Review Board. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they had a whole list of things. They wanted the project to be to have a natural landscape incorporated into it that would tie it to the buffers. There's a, there's a wetland buffer on one side. There's another buffer along the highway. Isn't there artificial um, aquifers underneath that as well? They have big tanks, Tim. Mm-hmm. And I watched as they st- installed these big – Those like, were huge. They made a like galvanized corrugated steel. And what they do is they store up stormwater and then there's meters that release it gradually to mimic the natural hydrologic function on the site. So that's what, I, what I've advocated for because I think that's an important project. It's, that it's on a great location for affordable housing. It's, yeah. it's near schools. Kids can walk to school from there. Yeah, transit. It transits Ferry. right there. You've got the STO trail. You've got the STO trail. You've got a park across the street. Mm-hmm. You've got all these stores where people can work or at least go to you know, do their banking and their shopping. I think it's an ideal location, and we're not going to get very many opportunities like that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I've supported it. I would like to see the project have maybe fewer units because I think they're trying to squeeze too many on that site. What's the count? 80 or something? 71. 71. And have, have fewer, maybe 60 or whatever, something they can fit in there and still have the, the required buffer along the highway and a little more space for people, like maybe a, a community garden, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see fewer units. And maybe more of them be deed-restricted affordable. But yep. I think it's a great location, and I, I hope, I hope a, a good pro- a version of that project happens. And we're, we're talking less than two acres, right? Um, Thereabouts? I, I don't know how many acres that is. That's, that's one of those factoids I don't have at the tip of my tongue. Yeah, we don't fact-check here on The Bystander anyway, so. You don't? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's too much work. <laughs> it's your story. Tell it how you like, Ron. Um, you are – one of the most uh, outgoing stewards of the, of the island and, and protecting water rights and, and trees and such. Where does your passion lie this second term going into city council? Um, how do we maintain the growth? Is it a rezoning situation? Not maintain, but restrict the growth and, and highlight the water and the trees and the, the charm, charm of rural beautiful Bainbridge. Well, um, one thing that the city has talked about has had in its comp plan and actually on its work plan is is de- developing a, uh, an effective transfer of development rights program they call a TDR program. They have one in King County that works really well to, to take uh, development rights from more rural areas into centers and municipalities and that sort of thing. If we can do the same thing on the island. It'd be actually simpler and Councilman uh, Woman Carr has, has been one of the things she wanted to get done before she left, but she's only got about a month left. Yeah, where's she going? Is she just walking off into the sunset or what? She works in Seattle, mm. and she really likes her job there as, as a planner. Uh, I think she'd be a great candidate for a new planning director at the city, so maybe we'll see her come back here. Yeah, everything I've, I've yet to make her acquaintance, but everything I hear about her is real positive. Yeah, you might want to ask her if she'd like to come on sometime. She's, yeah. she's very knowledgeable. They've, I've been lucky to have her on the council. Uh, so the, our transfer development rights, also uh, in terms of climate change, just focusing uh, growth in, near the high, our high-capacity transit center, the, uh, the ferry. And then I would say the Wintergreen Project is close enough to qualify for that. It's part of uh, Vision 2050, the regional plan that's developed by uh, Puget Sound Regional Council. 
And uh, I was on the board when we worked on that. I won't say I had a major role in it, but I, I, I did have a little bit of influence regarding uh, some policies on uh, sewage and uh, stormwater facilities. But their, one of their strategies is to focus growth near uh, transit. So that, you know, theoretically, right. people aren't driving as much. Less carbon footprint. Yeah, they're using the, the buses and the, and the ferry and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of ridiculous when I see 100 cars at the schools, you know, and we're like 11-mile island. <laughs> That's it, a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, and then we're complaining that we still don't have enough bus drivers, right? <laughs> I guess, yeah. I, I like that the kids are out on their e-bikes, though. That, that's kind of fun. E-bikes, to see. yeah. I'm, I'm big. F- I don't have an e-bike, and I and I it, it always kind of bugs me when they pass me going up the hills. But mm-hmm. I think the e-bikes, there's a big future in those, and that's oh one for sure. I would like to see us provide more shoulders along the roads, paved shoulders. I think e- we'll get more people out. Yes, absolutely. E-bikes. I mean, we we're, we're considered a biking community, but we don't really have biking safety structure throughout the island. I mean, the Chili Hilly is a huge event. Some people really love it, and some dis- have disdain for all the bikes on the ferry in the morning and how people just come onto the island and, and go right off. But this could be a destination bicycle spot, yeah. you know, and it could add to the tourism and such in a good way. One of the things I've wanted to do with, at my property is to have a little – one of the things I've thought about is have a, uh, have a little campsite for – for bikers, mm. and we've actually had a, had a couple of people. You know, we'd see them riding, and they obviously are touring, and invite them if they want to camp in our yard. It's been kind of fun. Hear their adventures. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I like how many bicyclists come and stay on the beach on Fay Bay Merge and go yeah. see Bloodell, and mm-hmm. then go on to the Olympics from here. It's uh, I've ran into quite a few people, and I love my e-bike. I will say that it, it is yeah. dangerous at times. Oh, you have one, okay? <laughs> yeah, they're seventy-five pounds, so you know if you crash that thing, you take a tumble. I, did, I took a, quite a tumble off uh, Eagle Harbor, going about thirty miles an hour after Thanksgiving, and oh my god, it was a tough wreck. But my friend Chuck, you know, he has a touring bike, light as can be, and a stick or something went in the spokes of his bike, and he had to go to Harborview, and it was oh nasty, but. Um, that's a story for another day. We're here to talk about stewardship, quality of life, and, and what, what's going on, on on the island. You are an advocate of water and water rights. How do you see the shoreline management shaping up, and are we in good shape with our aquifers and wells and water on the island? You know, um, that's a good question, Tim, and that's one of the reasons we need a, a really good groundwater management plan that – requires uh, better, more wells that are being tested and more transparency. It might be that we have enough water and that, that we're not in danger of depleting it. But there's some unknowns when it comes to aquifers. Uh, you know, it's, it's, somebody put it well the other day when they said, everything's good until it isn't. Right. And I see some of those pictures posted on Facebook about the brown water coming through the bathtubs and stuff like that. And it could be just, you know, something with a water system that's malfunctioning or needs to be maintained better. Uh, so I'm not saying that, yes, we definitely are depleting our aquifers, though I suspect that we probably are. But I just think we need a really good plan with great monitoring that's uh, committed to long-term sustainability. And then we can feel a little more. Uh, we can feel a more comfortable with the levels of growth that we're talking about. Um, treaty rights to water. Um, I know you're looking at kind of working with the tribe. 
how's that coming? What what do we need to do to support um, the Native Americans that this land that we are on? That's a good question, Tim, and it, it does relate back to the groundwater management plan. And I have to say that I am encouraged by the direction the city council is taking because they've already started talking about the groundwater management plan. And one of the important uh, elements, policy elements, is are we going to maintain aquifer levels that will continue to support our streams and wetlands? And that is important to local tribes, that we have continued good stream flow into Puget Sound, uh, both for salmon and just for the health of the, the sound in general. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's you know, uh, I don't know if you read my response to questions to the Kitsap Sun that were published the other mm-hmm. day, but I do see stewardship and protection of Puget Sound is one of our obligations to the the local tribes. And they are our first original people of color who have been marginalized, you know, Mm -hmm. over the, you know, since uh, whites populated uh, this area in the mid-1850s, and then the treaties were negotiated. So if we, you know, when we talk about race equity, for me that's really important. That we don't continue to allow Puget Sound to be degraded from pollutants, uh, from undertreated uh, sewage effluent and stormwater, and degraded by reduced stream flows and, and that sort of thing. Because the, the things they're entitled to harvest, the, the fish and the gooey ducks and salmon and, uh, and clams. And we want the orcas to have good supply of food as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shoreline management, yeah, well, let me back up. Aren't we kind of one of the biggest polluters with the runoff water from the streets going into the ocean, the sewage breaks, the farm salmon, and the Superfund and the ferry? I mean, I would think electrifying the ferry system would be a higher priority because it seems like if it's dumping diesel in, into the bay there, or I don't know if it does or doesn't, there's got to be some type of impact to the to the water. Yeah, I hadn't heard about any diesel spills, but um, well, isn't there an offshoot of gas or diesel from the boat when it throttles down to come into 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 port here? Maybe just air emissions. And you're talking about through their their exhaust. Yeah, I don't I don't know how a ferry discharges its energy. Does that make sense? Well, I don't think there are any intentional discharges of actual diesel, you know, like into the water. Right. But there's a fair amount of oil that leaks from our car that goes on the street and then goes yeah. into the water. Yeah. Uh, I would just think that such a large ship and so much trafficking in that bay would give off some type of pollutant. I mean, we've had red tide here for as long as I've been here. Um, the Superfund site's been there as long as I've been here. Um, those seems like pollutants. Yeah, sure. I don't know how much of the, uh, the from the creosote, former creosote site is actually leaching into Puget Sound. It could be there are plumes that are going down that they're they're trying to um, prevent from going into the aquifers. And part of that was to mix concrete. Uh, the, one of the plans is that is to mix concrete into the ground to kind of encapsulate, encase mm-hmm. the pollutants. Um, as far as the electrifying the, the ferries, um, 
Electrification is an interesting topic because the, it can be shown that like, so electric cars and electrification does have a return. It does have a cost, though, in terms of the, the rare earth mineral uh, metals that go into the batteries and that, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, so there, it's an interesting discussion. Um, you know, then we have to look at where we're getting our electricity. And right now, about a third of it comes from coal-fired plants in Montana. Uh, so, you know, I know that that's supposed to change over time, but I'm, I can, I, I've got to ask, where is Puget Sound Energy going to get the, the energy to replace that? And at the same time, you have uh, public utilities over in eastern Washington providing electricity to these big uh, server farms for things like a blockchain. Mm. So, um, you know, electrification, you know, I'm I'm not sure what we really get out of that, but I know a lot of people are big. Those on. are fair questions, you know. I think elect- electric ferry is, might be a buzzword, you know, because where's our charging station going to be? And, you know, there are the mineral issues and such. Um, I don't live on the shoreline. Um, I don't I'm, understand the Shoreline Management Act. Um, much like the uh, comprehensive plan, there, it seems to be evolving. Can you bring me up to snuff on the Shoreline Management Plan? Uh, it was the last approved. Uh, it's mandated by the sh- the Shoreline Management Act at the state level, hmm. and we we have to have a periodic review and update, uh, something like every seven years. What and, does that constitute? Well, it constitutes going through the 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 Shoreline Master Program, which is almost four about four hundred pages long, and taking public comment. And then reviewing it and deciding if there's things that need to be updated, changed. And one of the biggest complaints, and I agree with it, is that it's it's too big. Uh, the, the the one they have in Paul's book, I think, is about 40 pages long. Now, I don't know if 40 pages is adequate for Bainbridge, but I think 400, what it does is it creates this huge document that's difficult for people to understand, and it's also difficult for staff to understand. So what happens is there's inconsistent applications of the rules that are in the, the SMP. So that's one of the things I would advocate for is we need to make it smaller, perhaps start with a smaller one like the uh, SMP that's just been approved for Kitsap County and look at it and go, well, there are things in here that we don't like. Use it as a starting point. We want to add this, we want to add that, but come up with something shorter. And so I've proposed a process of having, if our council, I would advocate for a, an SMP ad hoc committee made up of some council members, some planning commission members, and some members of the public who have some expertise and, and, and maybe re- represent some, some diverse views as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and take a look at, okay, what are the purposes? What's the purpose of the SMP? What are we trying to accomplish other than to meet state law because we're supposed to have a shoreline master program? And what problems are we trying to solve? And then, and then create a matrix of what are these the thorny issues that we're trying to address that are difficult. Things like uh, how do we define no net loss? Mm. And h- how are we going to apply so- one, something that's in there that's, that's contentious is the precautionary principle. And that means that you know when, when adverse impacts are unknown, you err on the side of preventing them. And shoreline, a lot of shoreline owners don't like that because then staff can just – deny a project or require uh, or add more projects and cost to the shoreline. Yeah, owner. they can, they can add conditions just because, well, I'm taking a pro- precautionary principle. Uh, that's something that's a difficult one because I kind of, 
I kind of agree with precautionary principle. But it's also subject to a, a person's interpretation of that, right? It leaves too much leeway. Yeah. So uh, I'd like to look at how other jurisdictions are addressing that issue and also the issue of no net loss. And there's, there's, there's other ones. Identify all these thorny issues. Look at how other jurisdictions have addressed them. Not that we have to do it exactly that way, but it, it could help inform how we, you know, because other people have come up with some good solutions for these thorny issues. And we can learn from that. So that's that would be my approach to have a committee that works on on this for, I don't know if it takes a year, and work with members of the public and take the systematic approach, create a matrix, identify the difficult issues, what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to solve, and then make a recommendation to the city council. Mm-hmm. All right. We talked a little bit about affordable housing and the Wintergreen Project. How do you see the affordable housing issue here on the island? <clears throat> I, I kind of see it a little bit in you know, island-centric, but also in terms of the region. And the region as a whole is experiencing issues with housing. I mean, someone mm-hmm. you know, could describe it as a housing crisis with people living in RVs and, Tents and, and you know, and under the under viaducts. And we don't have a problem, big problem with that on the island now. I'm sure there are some homeless that aren't real obvious. But as a region and an island, I, one of the, the approach now is just we'd have to build a lot of housing. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that's going to solve the problem. I think it's got to be more targeted, and I think the state needs to step up and provide some incentives for affordable housing. Now, there are some incentives. Now, one that was recently approved by the city council, the multifamily tax exemption. So if you create multifamily housing uh, and a certain amount of it is affordable, you get a break on your, your property taxes. I'd like to see the state go further to give property tax breaks for people who have affordable rental that qualifies uh, and there's how a about way- a couch, like <laughs> <laughs> a couch? Yeah, couch surf at at my house for ten bucks a night, and then I'll take the tax break. <laughs> okay, I'll let you propose that, Tim. All right, give me the give us the details on that, and if I get elected, we'll we'll take a look at it. All right, um, but I think, and that this is leading up to one of the things I'd like to see. One of the things <laughs> I'd like to see the uh, the city council do, and that is to have a lobbyist. Hmm. For state lobbyists, it goes to the legislature, and and develop a legislative agenda, and that would that would be include things regarding affordable housing, uh, environmental protection. I like to see local jurisdictions have the the legal authority to restrict the use of herbicides and pesticides, which we don't right now. Uh, so you know, the state I believe needs to step up. Their property taxes are making Bainbridge Island are contributing to the la- lack of affordability. A lot of people... Yeah, even in, in senior housing, like I have a house and it was a certain amount when I bought it and the taxes were reasonably affordable then. Yeah. And now it's tripled in value and my taxes have tripled in value. So even though I'm further along in having complete equity in my ha- home, my taxes are going up every year. And I saw the King Ca- Kitsap County... Um, assessor out in the neighborhoods recently yeah. and I wanted to knock on the window and tell them everything wrong with my house because <laughs> on the outside it looks like hey it's, it's worth a lot you're a great location you know you're on Bainbridge and I'm just like bring those taxes down 
Yeah, you know, and they love their the the state loves their you know half your property taxes go to the state, something mm-hmm. like that, and, and then it becomes unaffordable. You know, it I I don't know need low income housing, and I need affordable housing, right? Yeah, like if you're making an, an honest living or you're making a living like I am, <laughs> you, you want to be able to keep what you have. Yeah, at, at a minimum. Yeah, and it's it's um, you know I'm surprised that uh, there isn't more of a revolt by <laughs> taxpayers on the island after they you know because recently the taxes are raised to pay for schools which you know is a good cause I mean it's a, something we need to do but it it's really impacted people who live in uh, on Bainbridge Island other areas where the property values have gone up and mm-hmm. just a lot of people couldn't afford their their houses now if they had to buy them again. Well, you can just get off the rock across the bridge and your taxes drop in half almost. Just boom. Oh, I hadn't done that comparison. Yeah, okay. so Suquamish and Kingston and Paulsbo, taxes are much less. So if I can mention another idea I have about, and it's not necessarily my idea, but it's one that I've talked to people about. It has to do with senior housing. We have a lot of uh, single-family houses that are fairly large, and some of them are lived in by older folks who really can't take care of them very well, and they don't really want to have the big yard and all that. They don't mm-hmm. need all the space. I'd like to see us come up with a a program where uh, an owner or developer could take a single-family house and divide it into smaller units. It could be rented out, or it could be like a condo, condominium with units that, that would be good for seniors where they could have a small space they could have a yard, but they wouldn't have to take care of the whole house. They could pay mm-hmm. a certain amount for that would cover all the maintenance of the property. So that's something I think we should be talking about and working on. Also, when you talked about tax money going to the schools, the thing that drives me the, the most nuts in Washington State tax is the sin tax of marijuana, alcohol, cigarettes, lottery. When it first came out, it was an advertisement to support schools. And then I found out the money goes into the general fund and about 1% goes to the school. So they're, they're profiting off all this bad behavior, you know, and I think of it somewhat like M- Medicare. Like we should really be concentrating on preventing a lot of these diseases as opposed to big pharma and the hospital crisis is like, Hey, can everybody get a free gym membership? Can we all motivate ourselves a little bit? Can we all get out on a bike? Can we take the couch to fit November walking challenge? You know, whatever it is. Uh, I don't know. I just think that if we're going to put out the product of lottery, cigarettes, and alcohol for the betterment of our kids in school, <laughs> it, I don't know. I just I don't like the premise and I don't like the result. And then our property taxes here on Bainbridge Island seem to pay for almost everything. It's nuts to me. Well, I've always been an opponent of the the lottery because it encourages, you know, a lot of people just buy a ticket now and then, okay? But there are some people that spend a lot of money on lottery mm-hmm. tickets. And and some of them are, are people who are earning money for their, for their household. And that takes away from their household. It's just this idea, yeah. I'm going to be a millionaire if I buy enough lottery tickets. You got to so, be the Kellogg guy that figured out how to uh, mathematically win the lottery. I, I know people that claim they could use statistics to do that. And yeah. uh, as far as I know, they haven't won the lottery yet. Well, I know, this one guy, he 
first he learned how how to figure out the barcode on cereal boxes while he was working in the factory, and then he got a little deli, and then he started collecting wheat pennies from the change that he made, and he sold it. Uh, he collected the pennies until he had enough to install a lottery machine in his store, and then he started getting fascinated about. I think I can figure out the math on this, and he did like three times. Oh, and he won the lottery, huh? Yeah. Wow. Probability of statistics. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I guess some people made it work, huh? Yeah, but go on. Sorry. Oh, I've kind of lost where I was at. Well, so. you were, we were lotterying it. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of. I think our health system, and this isn't a. I don't know if how, how much it applies to city council, though. That we spend a lot of money on healthcare in this country that could be prevented if people had more healthy lifestyles. Yeah. And as far as diets. Uh, how to, you know, regulating stress. There's a lot of stress. Well, like Whole Food is five times as much as a shit burger at McDonald's, right? <laughs> <laughs> like a bag of pistachios is $1.99 and a well, hamburger is fifty or something. So, but there are a lot of foods that are healthy that just require you to have to cook for yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can buy, you can buy healthy food that somebody else prepares and it's expensive. Right. At my house, uh, we grow and eat a lot of our own dried beans and vegetables, eat a lot of kale. We don't eat a lot of meat. We eat some, eat some mm-hmm. fish uh, and a fair amount of dairy. But uh, there's ways to eat healthy and be economical, but you mm-hmm. have to be resourceful. So I, I really believe in that. I really believe in getting uh, physical exercise. Uh, you know, it makes a big difference in your health. And it's in the long run, you're more productive and it's less of a drain on society having to having to, you know, uh, provide health care for people. So, and it, I think if we were healthier, the cost of health care yeah, would go down exactly. as well because there's high demand and a limited supply. And then big pharma wouldn't have as much control over, you know, environment and politics and stuff like that too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're moving on here. Police station, what are your thoughts about the situation that we have ourselves in currently and going forward, what would you like to see happen? Well, I think, uh, Tim, I think this is a real test of how well city government can function. And, I, and I'm concerned because I see us going uh, – I don't know if you – you know, things will come up like in your regular life, issues maybe with your spouse or friends or whatever where they, they can be circular mm-hmm. where you discuss something so long that you come back to where you were maybe a, a year ago or maybe – Five minutes ago, it depends on. Shout situation. out to my wife. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but and I and I see the city doing that. Now mm-hmm. we're revisiting whether the police station should go at, at Suzuki, and that that was discussed, you know, years ago, and determined it was too close to the schools to yeah. put a police and court facility there. And but the institutional knowledge is such that if you go long enough with a discussion, you start going over things again. Mm-hmm. And a certain amount of that's okay, but I would like to see it's. I would like to see. The city council make a decision on the police facility. And as a council member, if I were elected, I would not expect it to be the perfect solution. Uh, I don't particularly like the Harrison site for a police facility. I think it's, it's, it's not walkable. From, mm-hmm. Well, we could walk there from here, but uh, you know, it's not close to a lot of other amenities. So people are going to be driving there all the time. And it's not rec- easily recognizable where it is. By And there's only one way out. One way out, of course, the, the emergency exit is to drive across the church lawn. I don't know if you knew that. That's the emergency exit. Mm-hmm. And it's down a, a, a you know, like I said, it's a one way down a gravel road. So for people who say somebody wants to come to court 
for uh, a restraining order. And we know that those can be dangerous situations for, for people. Uh, they have to, there's no, they have to walk down that road or call for the police to come and escort them or something. So that's not ideal. Uh, but having said all that, um, you know, if, if a majority of the council, I was on the council, wanted to do that, I would say, look, let's just move forward with it. Let's make sure it's right size. Let's try and keep the budget down. But I, I would say one thing that needs to happen with the police budget is we need to get an independent uh, consultant to come in, which hasn't happened in a long time, or I don't think maybe ever happened, to come in and take a look at Bainbridge Island and what our policing needs are. Uh, and tell us, are we spending the right amount on policing? Yeah. I'd like to know how many tickets are written and how many crimes are conducted. When I first got here, there was the public access channel, and the the one guy was reading the crime blog. You know, once again, Tuesday night, eleven o'clock, somebody took Ron's mail, and it was about a nine minute segment, and it just read it out of the review. Oh, but, yeah, but it was on TV. Now, the, we used to have a public safety committee that I was on where the police chief would come quarterly and he'd have a report like on all the crime or whatever had happened, the activities. And that might be still – that's probably still available if you were to contact the police chief and ask him about it. Uh, when it comes to the police chief and open invite to you and welcome to the neighborhood, um, I'd like to know who is serving my community. Like I, I think I was telling Kent Scott the other day this, that when I was a kid – the firemen used to pass out these like baseball cards that were here's here's Brian and his dog Fido and he likes to mountain bike and hike and there was a picture of him and kids would trade and try to get all the policemen and firemen baseball cards like and then that was a way to bridge the gap of the unknown community members and to teach kids not to be afraid of police and we went through the chop and chaz situation and then the defunding police cries and stuff like that, we have to turn over in a new police chief here on, on beautiful Bainbridge Island. I'd like to know and support the police, but I don't know who they are. Um, so it's hard to put support in a faceless thing, I guess. That's a good, I think those are good, uh, some good points, Tim. Um, I've often wondered who the police are. I've met some of them. I've gone to, I did the police academy for council members just one day. I uh, went to one event or they were, I can't remember what it was. It was some wards event. It's really a good group of, of people on the, on That's the what I've heard. police department. It would be it would be great if we knew them better. Uh, there and, is a little bit of a bunker mentality. I don't know if it's a little bit. It's There's a bunker mentality with the police. They feel uh, like they have to kind of circle the wagons a little bit because mm-hmm. – they, you know, they're the police, so they give out the tickets and stuff, and sometimes people don't like that, and they tend to not like the police, which is not really fair. But They're trying to make it safer streets for us. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea, is have, have cards for the police. And the, you know, there used to be the National Day Out where the police gave hot dogs and stickers and balloons here on Bainbridge Island, downtown Winslow. Do you they, remember those? Yeah, they've, I, they probably haven't done them lately because of the pandemic. Right. Yeah, they, I, I think they would ca- will continue doing that after things. That'd so. be a good venue for them to do that. Yeah. Um, so you think we should go ahead and start moving in on that project at the old Harrison Hospital building and get the courthouse and police station built? Uh, I think we should move ahead on something soon. Uh, find a consensus on the council, and I, I hope that's what's going to happen, regardless of who gets elected. But didn't we? 
have a consensus when we bought the place in the first place? Yeah, it was a four or three vote. There was there, yeah, there was a, a majority of council. So why isn't it done deal? Let's go. Well, it's up to the council. They they decided they wanted to uh, have a pause. There were some. Oh, so you can vote and then uh, decide not to do it, even though you made that vote and we voted those people into city council to make these decisions. Yeah, it's happened with other things. It happened with the uh, happened with the bridge across the highway. Remember that bridge whole, to nowhere? Yeah, that whole thing. It was uh, basically supported by a majority of council in 2017, and in, in 2018, a majority voted to cancel the project. Um, so with the Harrison facility, one thing that's slowed it down is controversy about the purchase price. Um, I think that there should be some accountability as to why we, you know, real estate experts tell us that we spent about $5 million too much. Mm-hmm. I don't think that should slow down the process. We own the, we own the building. Uh, I know there's people, friends of mine who disagree with that. They want to slow the whole thing down until we have a full report on what happened. Uh, I but think, we're not going to have a buyer at that price to, if we decide not to move forward w- with that building. Yeah, who's going to buy it from the city? I don't think anybody's going to pay that much, and I don't no. think anybody would have before. So it's a mistake that was made. It cost money. Maybe there should be some accountability, but I don't think it should slow down the process of moving forward. And mm. for me, the first step would be, and I think the council should have already done this, is to get an independent assessment as to what our policing needs are. So it can be assured that that what we've had planned for Harrison kind of fits that and we're not overspending for police. Mm-hmm. I don't have a preconceived notion whether we are or not, but I, I know there's, there is a disagreement in the community about police spending. Yeah, the, the analogy is that we have th- three brand new fire stations for less than we paid for, the, for that facility at Harrison. Uh, well, they spent more, but they got three. Let's see. I know that uh, they 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 got in at a time when construction wasn't expensive, and they moved forward. Uh, yeah, they got they got. I don't I don't remember what the, the amount yeah. is that they spent, but it was once again we don't fact check. It was reasonable. <laughs> I don't throw anything out there. Nice. All right, we should probably wind this up and get back to our day jobs. Um, climate control or climate change here? Do you have any? Um, I know there's not really solutions, but ideas to to help the climate. I mean, we bat back and forth the the helium balloons and plastic bags, but that's like a pickleball match that I'm a little tired of. Can we think bigger? And what kind of things can we do as a community? You know, that is a good question, Tim. And right now, I think what we're doing is we're we're managing the anxiety around climate change by telling ourselves that we're 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 doing something about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I was one of the two council members who proposed having a, a, a climate action plan in 2019. So I believe in, in that, that we, sh- that, that we should be doing what we can. Uh, but I don't see any signs that we're reducing our, our climate, uh, our carbon emissions. Now, one, one thing I'm a big supporter of is non-motorized transportation. I like to see a lot more people buy e-bikes and get out on them because yeah, – I'd like to see the mobility levy return – under better circumstances. You know, I, I was just talking to somebody about that the other night, that let's come up with a really good plan that people go, yeah, now that makes sense. We know how to Irresistible. Make, make it undeniable. Yeah. I, I think that that might be the way to, and I didn't mention this in the uh, Squeaky Wheels uh, forum the other night, cause I, but I Shout out to them. You put on a good forum. Yeah, they did. And um, 
But I've thought about that some more, and that might be the way we need to go, is to put together a really good proposal for voters. And uh, so that's that's something that will need to be developed. Uh, as far as you know, actually reducing our carbon emissions, that's part of doing it. I think people also individually need to realize that what you do, you know, when you take an airplane trip, that has a carbon impact. Mm-hmm. A long-haul trip has an impact equal to what somebody in a third-world country has for a whole year in terms of carbon emissions. So uh, a lot of this is individual, how we, how we, uh, the things we buy, trips we take, our lifestyles. Um, so there's, you know, as far as climate, uh, there's, there's two things. There's mitigation, which is trying to reduce carbon emissions, and then there's adaptation. And I think we, we have to be thinking about how to better manage our forests because we've seen some we've seen catastrophic wildfires up and mm-hmm. down. I mean, Oregon and, and California, we've gotten off a little bit easy. In western Washington, we've had some fires, but it's getting drier, mm-hmm. and the fuels are building up. So uh, we need to be and, – and I'm not I'm not the first one to talk about this by any means. Other p- people have actually led on this. We need to have better forest management and encourage people to, uh, you know, to address some of the excess fuels that are built up and, and the kind of species that we're trying to encourage that are more drought resistant. Mm-hmm. So th- those are, you know, climate change is here. I mean, right. you know, I don't know if you, I grew up in this area. I never saw anything like these heat domes we had last summer. Yeah, this summer was rough, and I hear this winter is going to be rough as well. And I just remember shucking oysters on the beach and clamming and, you know, last 10 years – Nothing, you know, and eat crabbing too. I mean, Dungeness crab is my favorite food by far. I can eat my body weight in crab. <laughs> Can't catch one for nothing anymore, though. Oh, really? Yeah, they've really depleted. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, so I'm concerned because I see the sea life changing. Yeah. You know, and then I go out there by wing point on the spit, and you see these clams that look like footballs, like they're on steroids or something just on the top and I'm like what that's that's not a manila clam that's five pounds that's, that's a cockle I think you're saying yeah something like that I'm just like those are not edible. edible by the way are they yeah I mean shout out to Subi the uh, gooey duck yaki is one of my favorite appetizers for sure so I can do the gooey duck um, well thank you for your time today I appreciate it um, Ron Peltier for city council in the north ward a reminder that this election, November 2nd, you're voting for all wards and all city council and parks department uh, players. Anything else you want to say to I just thank you, Tim, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm just really impressed how I conduct your interview today. Well, thank you. I look forward to uh, seeing you again. You've been listening to Bystander. Be kind.